Welcome back to One Shot, One Quill, your favorite podcast. I gotta do that one I, again. Yeah, it sounded like you're going to say, welcome back to One Shot, One Quill, you're listening to One Shot, One Quill. You're, and that would be... All right, I'm sorry. Let me... <clears throat> Welcome back to One Shot, One Quill, the podcast where you listen to it and it's one shot and it, one quill and I'm a host and Ben is another host. Hi, Ben. Hi. How does the show work? Uh, yeah, well, you fumble through the intro most of the time nowadays and then we take uh, one prompt and two uh, items that are suggested by listeners and we mission mash them together and then make a one shot out of them. But we stop before we have to do any of the hard stuff. Except that one time. Yes, except the one time. The forever asterisk that falls on that statement. Ben, can you roll me one out of six premises? Yeah. We're just blazing through it. It's a two. A young mycenid is tired of living underground and wants to experience the wonders of the surface. Particularly this thing it's heard of called the sun. The prompt goes on to describe a faraway kingdom interested in hosting this mycenid for studies, uh, to give it the sightseeing road trip and give it to its destination. You're basically on an escort quest to deliver the mycenid. The prompt specifies that the mycenid suffers from sunlight sensitivity, so he'll be vulnerable in the daytime. This mycenid is also described as a dangerously curious creature. Quick question. Mm -hmm. Was this submitted by Brittany? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, number one, just the mycenid thing. Number two, I think she stole the not knowing what the sun is thing from every other thing in Out of the Abyss. This was also when we started the show in like April. This is one of the first ones we got, so it's been a while. We weren't even running Out of the Abyss by that point. Fair enough. She just borrowed that from real life inspiration because she doesn't know what the she sun does, is. She lives underground and does not know what the sun is. Yeah. Brittany's an anthropomorphic mole. I don't know if I've told anybody about that. Even you it's you haven't mainly thought, and why would you know you've never seen her mm -hmm. well because you don't let me go into the hole in your backyard and i don't let her out of it it's for her own safety <laughs> that burrow barely fits me you, whenever i try to go in you just say there's no podcasting equipment down there and i don't go <laughs> what are a couple items that we could we could mishmash this in we wow. have two items so can you roll me a 1d2 yeah uh let's see um let's go with a one okay that is a pendant of fierce blows. When worn, the player must keep track of the highest amount of damage they've performed in a single attack. And once per day, on a critical hit, the wearer may substitute their damage roll with the tracked damage number. After being used, the tracked number gets one subtracted from it. Hmm. Yeah. That just seems useful. It does just seem useful, which is not characteristic of Andy. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely not characteristic of Andy. It's not characteristic of anything on this show at this point. I, I'm I, wondering I, if we could get off of our list another item that helps kind of round that out, though. Yeah, uh, you want me to roll a 1d1? Yes, please. Uh, all right, it's a 1. I gotta find that. Okay. Okay, I found it. A jade statue that, when thrown, produces an armadillo from the ethereal plane <laughs> named Ponticello. <laughs> he doesn't speak. He just wears a sticker that says, hello, my name is Ponticello. The statue works only once per day and recharges at dawn. Ponticello acts as a familiar for the thrower. Thank you, Brittany. <laughs> uh, thank you, Brittany. Um, that was 200% one shot, one quill to make up for the yeah, pendant of fierce blows being useful. That it was. Um, <laughs> I'm sort of glad we've run out of items. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a just a good set of armor. 
<laughs> pendant. It's a, it's a necklace. It's oh, a it, pendant of fierce blows. Yeah, yeah. That lets you basically just do a guaranteed good amount of damage on a crit. I'll, once per I'll day. be honest. Uh, I've got clothes. I was going to say dysmorphia. That's aphasia. Uh, I, do, <laughs> I can't tell the difference between different things that people wear on their bodies. Ben also has clothes dysmorphia and he struggles <laughs> with his outfits and his, <laughs> his fashion wardrobe. That seems insensitive. You said it. <laughs> We've got a pendant. It is just good. It lets you do the max damage that you have done that day um, on a crit. And then we have uh, the jade statue of an armadillo that has a sticker that says its name. And acts as a familiar. <laughs> yes, that is correct. I'm thinking off the bat, the pendant of fierce blows could be amplified to a uh, a slightly more MacGuffin like legendary item. Um, and it could be your Tesseract or whatever that you're well, chasing throughout this adventure. I mean, you said it could be amplified. Let's just make it a gun. Who cares? That's <laughs> a gun now. <laughs> well, that's one way to do it. I was thinking, Pendant of Fierce Blows, this, this has the unique property of enhancing damage completely anathema of whatever item you're using, whatever attack you're making. It could be any kind of weapon. The ability it's to enhance your crit damage across any attack whatsoever is just a general amulet of power, more or less. I mean, it's absolutely abusable. Uh, if you were to want to, or have another magic item that was not an armadillo statue. What's also bedonk about this, I refuse to get away from how crazy this item could be, because <laughs> now it's consuming my mind. This <sighs> item, specif when worn, the player must keep track of the highest amount of damage they've performed in one attack. Mm -hmm. It does not say you have to apply that to the same type of attack the next time you do it. The highest amount you've probably rolled on an attack if you really want to get wild is like the disintegrate spell. Oh, I see. Like you cast a ninth level spell. Yeah. But say you cast a ninth level spell that does, you know, 48 D8 or whatever damage. Yeah. So you do 150 damage in one hit. And then later on, you go and stab someone with a little dagger and you crit on that. And you're like, well, I guess I'm going to do 150 damage. You could, with your bare hands, could punch someone with enough power as disintegrate. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's uh, terrifying. That, that's a... Uh, that's a lot. Yeah. And I, don't, I don't know what to say <laughs> other than you've that's broken scary. it already. So, so without even having to change... Now, granted, granted, this is you have to roll a crit in order for that to work, mm -hmm. right? You have yet uh, once per day, a critical hit substitutes that damage roll with the track number. So the, for this to get really off the rails, you have to be making the maximum number of attacks with advantage frequently. So you're talking about maybe like a monk or I don't know. A fucking specked out rogue with haste. Anyone that has reckless attack or... Yes. Yeah, or can uh, sneak uh, attack. Ooh, that luck wizard, divination mm. wizard. What's your idea? Because <laughs> I'm really having trouble. Other than very clearly to me, the uh, Jade Statue of the Armadillo does belong to the Mycenids. Oh, Ponticello is a friend of the Mycenids? Okay. Yeah, Ponticello is the Mycenids familiar who told him all about... I mean, he can't speak, but I guess Mycenids have telepathy, right? So yes. uh, Ponticello told him all about the sun. <laughs> Ponticello can't speak, but he can telepathically communicate if someone reaches mm -hmm. out to him. Okay, perfect. So who else would make friends with it but the Mycenid? Let's say we have a villain with the pendant. What's something they want from the Mycenid? 
Like, why would they maybe want to take the mice in it away? Well, um, something that I've learned is that uh, the Dwegar, and I think just dwarves in general, uh, do in fact eat mycenids. Okay, so we've already got one angle, which is Dwegar poachers. Or just dwarf poachers. Just some dwarves are like, hey, uh, imagine if you're just a nice person who's walking around and you see someone who comes by and they have an apple tree that walks up next to them, uh, you know, and has a pet crow or whatever. Would you not think, well, I'm going to go and have myself an apple because there's an apple tree that's just kind of wandering around. I think that's what these dwarves are thinking. I, mm-hmm. they, okay. they're like, that's, or let's even, let's contextualize it further, Spencer. Um, you're walking just through a university campus and someone is sitting on a bench and next to them is a talking quest bar. Okay. Or, or it's a mycenid, <laughs> so not even a talking quest bar. A quest bar that communicates to them telepathically. Would you not be like, well, I can eat that quest bar. I, if I'm a dick, yeah. I guess no, I would think the same thing of the guy walking his fucking Maltese around campus. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm the monster who's going to come steal someone's friendly snack. Okay. Well, so, you you have no proof that it belongs to them. It's other than not, they're talking to it? Well, they're telep- telepathically talking to it, so. Okay. All right. Yeah. So now the thing to know about rapport spores is that it's not just like talking in your head. You hear it talking in your head. But what the dwarf here would see, or me on the college campus, is I would see someone out loud talking to a quest bar that happens to understand it now because it put its quest bar spores in the air. And you're telling me you wouldn't eat that to save them from whatever affliction they're currently going through? Yes, Ben Ben is full bore if you see someone suffering from a mental fit. If you see you someone it and you if, eat their hallucination. If you see someone talking to a quest bar, it is your <laughs> ethical duty to eat that quest bar. I visited my grandmother in the nursing home. It was a formative experience. I was ten years old. She couldn't remember me. God, I just and I and she she was convinced that this fucking McRib was her late husband <laughs> and to, to, to do her a real solid I ate it in front of her uh, <laughs> empathy achieved Ben I completely get it now <laughs> so we have a, a villainous poacher who I refuse to give the benefit of the doubt they're just a monster we have a evil poacher most dangerous game kind of guy who's like mm, yes I am the ultimate hunter I have this wonderful pendant uh, I am going to fight the fiercest of the fierce and eat the strangest of the strange. Uh, I want that thing. I want that. I want that portobello boy. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just an old lady who was cooking some mushroom soup, but all her mushrooms had gone bad. And she's like, well, there's one. Well, there's one. There's <laughs> one. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And so she approaches the group and you say, fuck off, old lady. So she takes her warhammer off of her mantelpiece and she's like, it's time to get back in action. And she puts on her pendant, uh, uses disintegrates on a friendly mouse in her house. And then she's like, let's go go whack some boys. It doesn't even have to be damage that you have rolled this day. It could be just the highest tracked amount of damage you've rolled since you've had the pendant. But once per day, you substitute a crit with that damage number. Now, to me, that says this person could be retired from a life of intense spellcasting 
if this could even be what if it's like stored from just whoever wielded it and it's just like a god tier wizard cast it and now just a Joe Schmo hunter has inherited it from an auction because that, he's an eccentric rich weirdo. <laughs> You're really uh, disparaging this mushroom eater. Yes, I am. <laughs> as someone who prides himself on not eating sentient things and eats mushrooms as substitute, I would not eat a sentient mushroom. Mm. I want that to be clear. I have principles that I stand by. <laughs> well, dwarves have no principles. That's just, it's in the PHP. Dwarves have no principles. <laughs> You cannot roll a lawful dwarf. <laughs> so, uh, so we've the got poacher villain. I'm leaning into it. It was your first suggestion, and I like yeah. it. The poacher villain is chasing down the party and their fun, eccentric mushroom. They lay all manner of strange traps uh, to lure out and take advantage of the mycenids' uh, natural curiosity. Some of these traps could be uh, perhaps halted by Ponticello. Ponticello mm -hmm. could basically just be the dummy that like gets himself stuck in the net, and then that poacher jumps out and twirls his mustache and goes, "Oh, dog! I'll get you yet." That, that's what you really want to do with familiars is sacrifice them. Oh yeah, that's I, why I think they're that's called familiars because they're familiar with traps. That's in the instructions on the back of the familiar box. It says great for defusing traps. <laughs> is completely expendable. Will not hold grudge. Maybe the uh, the mycenid, the curious mycenid, is the one who discovers the pendant. Well, sure, sure. So, so walk me through that. Like the the mycenid is willing to approach this gentleman because it's fascinated by its pendant. Maybe at some point, if the characters are discussing uh, discussing why the poacher is so powerful, the mycenid's like, "Oh, it's the it's the pendant. It looks the exact same as other magical pendants I've seen." So it's got some insight that there is a, you know, rare, magical, powerful pendant on this on this poacher. And so the party knows that, oh, in order to thwart them or in order to to gain an upper hand in battle, we just need to disarm them. I, of this I just pendant. assume you're getting wrecked before that point. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I, I definitely think so, too. Um, but the thing is, is, I don't know what what encounter are we dealing with where, like, they get away after getting their ass wrecked and then. The mycenid posits this theory. Is it like there's a there's a there's a fight that they do have a miraculous escape? Hang on, I like this element. You do it kind of like Strahd with this poacher, where they come out and do a little bit of a fight. They completely trounce the party, and they're like, "Listen, I am going to take that mycenid. I want you to understand that it's hopeless to try and stop me. I'm too powerful. Anyway, I'm going to be back in three days. Good luck." Just like really trying. This guy's a sociopath. Just trying to rub it in. Either I think. The mycenid gets captured and you have to rescue it. Or maybe, like, the poacher gets away with the mycenid's arm or something. I just, I feel like be, losing a limb is not going to be as big of a deal to a mycenid as it would be to a different kind of sentient creature. The, the poacher basically just takes a limb and then is at risk of yeah. coming back because he, he goes home mm. and cooks that limb and he's like, ah, wonderful. Now that I, now I know I want this. <laughs> This is just an appetizer. <laughs> I shall be back in three moons for the full entree. I am making a whole meal out of one thing. How you ask? Well, I'm going to have three day old aged arm followed by some fresh roasted gills. I'm going to marinate this arm and then I will be back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a gourmand champion fighter whose crit range is now 19 to 20 <laughs> this has gone from being a poacher to just an insane chef 
What if? Yes, a a absolutely mad chef, the Iron hey, Chef. Uh, Spencer, what if this is a uh, uh, leggings wearing tabaxi? Yes, it's 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 chef. It's <laughs> chef Rodon Gamsey. <laughs> Back from the Disney vault, <laughs> Rodon Gamsey. He's returned to wreak havoc on one mice in it. From our pilot episode, almost. Our pilot and a half episode. He's He's gone mad with power. The competition wasn't he, enough to satisfy him. He ate him. that uh, dragon-sized chicken, and he was like, you know what? I need more and more exotic things to eat. And they must all... <laughs> this, is, this is a magical world, but they must... All be sentient. I love it. I love it. And I do want to uh, just get it out there that he has replaced the leggings. <laughs> what? What's he replaced them with? Jorts. Okay. Why? <laughs> Why not? He's got he's got wardrobe dysmorphia. <laughs> I, I've pulled up a list of uh, of cooking show names. Let's see. Um, mm-hmm. Master Chef Shiitake's hit the fan. Uh, what about uh, Mushroom Top Chef? Although it's called a mushroom cap, so that may not work. Spore where that came from. <laughs> Master, I like Master Chef Spore where that came from. <laughs> but that's not a cooking show. That is Master no. Chef colon Spore where that came. Master Chef is the setting. Oh, it's a setting now. Yeah, just like Haggle Rock. Uh, wait a second. Uh, I, I mean, can't believe you're still looking when we've got the perfect name. <laughs> Mr. Chef's Spore, where that came from. A good title for a good episode. Mm, and it's not not a Spore spinoff. It's no, got- it's not a Spore off of, uh, of, of the sweet, sweet hit game Spore. Critically lauded. That comes next episode. But to do that, we need your items. <laughs> Thanks for choosing One Shot, One Quill. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to this one. If you want to submit item suggestions, you can do so by tweeting us at DNDPod. Same goes for premises. Again, that is at DNDPod on Twitter. Speaking of that, uh, if you want to send us anything spooky or Halloween-like, it's October, so that'd be fun for an episode or multiple episodes. Not this one. This one's about cooking. Our theme song is Alatavera del Guliere by Morgan the Bard. He has more songs. He does have more songs. He's got more. He's got Spore Where That Came From. Any last words, Ben? Spore Where That Came From. Oh, boy. Is it too late to... No, forget it. Forget it. You want to make the fun guy pun? Oh, yeah. Go see Go see Free Guy in the... Fuck. <laughs>